Hi, I'm Phil Maine, and this is A Life That's Good. In 2006, I was visiting a family member at a hospital in London, and while I was walking down the hall, I ran into a lady that I knew from church, actually, who was very distraught, which I thought was quite unusual for her. She came right up to me and hugged me and asked me if I would come with her to pray. Her son had been in an accident, and he was in intensive care. That son was Constable Dave Mounsey. On October 14th, 2006, Dave was en route to a vehicle rollover when he lost control of his cruiser due to the ice and snow-covered roads. He then sadly passed just a few weeks later, on the date we're posting this, actually, November 13th. We're going to remember Dave today on our podcast with his close friend Patrick Armstrong, police officer and veteran, who, along with an incredible group of Dave's friends and colleagues, formed the Dave Mounsey Memorial Fund in 2009 with a mandate to donate and promote the use of life-saving defib units to public access buildings and to place them in the name of fallen law enforcement, fire EMS, and military members who have been killed in the line of duty. Patrick and I will also talk about what it's like to be a cop in 2023, volunteering, serving, veterans, and Remembrance Day, and why it's so important to remember. And I'll end the show with a reading of John McRae's famous poem, In Flanders Fields. Uh, The subject matter might be a little more weighty, perhaps solemn, than some weeks. It's so important, though, I think, and much of the discussion is fundamental to the very foundation of the lives that we're living right here today in Midwestern Ontario and in this great country we live in, Canada. We're living lives that are good. So let's get at it. My old friend, and I guess really old now. What did you say you were? 48. Oh, good Lord. I know. Uh, Patrick Armstrong, police officer extraordinaire, and a whole bunch of other things is uh, in the studio. We haven't seen each other for a while. Yeah, I think you got to be careful when you say extraordinaire, because I don't think I'm extraordinaire <laughs> at too many things. No? Well, you do a lot of things. You must be good at something. Do a lot by quantity over quality, oh, I guess. Oh, is that what it is? We used to do shows together periodically when I was uh, on AM 920. We'd had mm-hmm. a uh, Wednesday coffee club, and uh, you would come in and co-host every once in a while. You would bring me coffee as opposed to today, where I had to bring you coffee. Which I think is the way, if I had known, <laughs> I would have switched it up back then. <laughs> I've had you on the list for a while now. Uh, to try to get you in to talk about this. This show's all about the things that are good in Midwestern Ontario. And one of the things that would be on my list is the Dave Mounsey Memorial Fund. Yes. Yes. And uh, I love that organization. I love the things that you do with it. And uh, you're involved in a lot of other things as well. So we can talk about that. You know what's on my mind a lot in these last, I don't know, was it 10 years since I was on CKNX? But, yeah, I think so, Yeah. Yeah. Is every time I open up a a news article anywhere about police officers, I think about you and knowing you as not just a police officer, but as a human being, as a guy that I've talked to casually, just about life, about sports, about family, about our, your dog. and just, I talk more about my dog than I do about sports. <laughs> sure you do. But then I think, you know, being a police officer, it's a lot like, well, there are other things that when I was a kid, I would have thought, man, 
not probably thought the word noble, but have wanted to think, I could be a firefighter, or I could be a police officer, or I could be a school teacher. And some of those jobs now, while still noble, they don't seem to command the same respect in the media that they once did. I think you probably, that's cyclical. I think, imagine the 60s policing went through that as well. Yeah. Uh, I, I truly believe it is a noble career. Same with firefighting, EMS. I like to say that we're different spokes to the same wheel. Mm-hmm. And it's just about having the right people in place. They're there for the right reasons. I make a better police officer, I guess, than firefighter. And I like donuts, so it works well with <laughs> yeah. with it. So Okay. So how many uh, more years do you want to be a police officer? Do you have a retirement plan? Like you're, you're closing in on... I've got nine more years. Yeah? Yeah, nine more years. So you've known me since I was 27 is when I, I came over from the forces and uh, just celebrated my 21st year in it. Uh, other thing that I learned recently, I had reached out to you because I thought um, Remembrance Day, which is just past, it's an important day and it's always meant something to me to go to a cenotaph and just... Take a couple of minutes a year just to be respectful towards veterans. And, of course, we all have a veteran in our family somewhere along the line, or most of us do. And I thought it'd be great to, if I could find a veteran. I, I thought, I wonder if Patrick knows one. And then you shot back, hey, I'm a veteran. <laughs> so we always haven't talked much because I think most of my coworkers can't stand my when I was in the Navy stories. So. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. It, uh, and, you know, here in Wingham, of course, the, the big tie-in with Remembrance Day that hits home every year is the loss of Matthew Denning in 2006. Did you know Matthew? I did know Matthew, and I worked with uh, his father, Link, and I'm I'm proud to say that I'm I'm good friends with both parents. War seems always, in my lifetime, so uh, I'm a baby boomer, but it's always been in another place, in a far, far away place where it doesn't really affect us. It's hard to imagine it for a lot of us until a local boy all of a sudden is lost to it. Yeah, and I think when you look at war, you know, because I'm, I'm the next generation. Yeah. So war is World War II, our grandfathers. It's uh, my uncle who served in Vietnam. Mm-hmm. The, the face of modern veterans, I don't think is really out there because it's, it's the face of the still 20-something up to... 50-something is kind of the new veteran versus in the 80s and 90s like we'd known for so long. Like when a baby boomer thinks about a veteran. It's exactly right. I think there aren't any left, or they must be very, very rare. They would be 100 years old now. Oh, yeah. World War II veterans. There are no World War I veterans in Canada. Uh, World War II, um, sadly, are are very numbered. Uh, mm-hmm. Same with Korea, and Korea vets tend to get forgotten about a lot. Uh, my grandfather was killed in Korea, so I have a very... I have that uh, connection, I guess, yeah. to that war that gets forgotten about. And so, and a lot of them, including my grandfather, was World War II veteran. And so, signed back up to go back over. And then you've kind of got a gap where you get into Vietnam, where Canada had 1,400 or so soldiers, but you mm-hmm. had a lot of Canadians sign up with the U.S. They went over, but then we get into peacekeeping, and there's well over, I believe, over 150 Canadian peacekeepers that were killed in the line of duty before you even get into Afghanistan. I just remember as a, a kid hearing, you know, was it the First World War? That was the war to end all wars. Yes. Most of us are, you know, very familiar with World War One, World War Two, Korea, Afghanistan. But even now, 
in the Middle East, another war in Ukraine. The war rages on. In, in your lifetime as a veteran, did you ever think you would see a day when there was no more war? Or are humans just incapable of that? There's a good. That's a big question. There is far smarter people than I. When I joined the forces, I joined as an armored crewman back in '92. There, I'm dating myself. I uh, joined when I was still in high school, and to you had World War II vets, Korea vets, and if you knew somebody who had one row of ribbons, so three medals, mm-hmm. usually the long service medal, the special service medal, and at that point, Cyprus. That that guy was, or that woman was they were a veteran like that person had seen some stuff because there really wasn't a lot after vietnam Mm -hmm. going on that we were involved and then all of a sudden you skip ahead you get into the former yugo you get into all these peacekeeping tours that canada did especially in the the 90s and early 2000s and now it's not you know to see somebody with three ribbons is that's pretty normal in today's world because of all the conflict you have a few, do you not? I do. do you, you're going to make me ask? I, you, do you want to talk about it? I I always start with for drinking in different oceans. <laughs> uh, there's a few that mean a little bit a little bit more, mm-hmm. and um, uh, I have some as a representative from the Mounsey Fund, mm-hmm. uh, just because running it and and being the the face of it. But um, yeah, I don't usually talk about them too often. So. No. Are, are most veterans kind of like that, I think? So, as you know, I run a, a metal mounting business mm-hmm. where I do research into metals and uh, re- restore them for families. And what you, the number one thing I see for World War One is grandpa, great grandpa kept these in a shoebox. Right. And you're getting metals that were never worn. World War Two, I think, by World War Two, you have the Legion. So you have a place where vets can go and... World War II vets, quite often their fathers and mothers served World War I, so there's a little more wearing their medals, and you see that. It's countless how many World War I medals I've touched that were in a shoebox. As soon as they came home, they just put them in there. Wow. You said you joined right out of high school? Is that right? In high school, yes. In high school. I had to get my my parents' permission, which, when you have a hippie mom, didn't really go very well, but as a, a parent, she did what good parents do which is they let their children live their their lives whether they agree with the Mm -hmm. decisions or not and uh yeah i joined the armor corps didn't really go anywhere i guess hung out in petawawa and uh tried to hide from the the bigger tougher soldiers and got out for a year and a half and then went back into the navy what was it in high school or as a young man or even after you got out and then went back what was it that drove you to want to serve that way I think wanting to do something that made an, an impact, I, I believe now, I wouldn't have back then, but I believe now my best articulation is, like I said earlier, taking that small corner of the world and trying to make it better. Yeah. And one of the ways that I thought I could do that is by doing it in uniform. So right now, if you take my combined Army, Navy, and current career, I'm at 29 years in uniform in my life which is a i i think a significant portion mm-hmm. but um it's nice i don't have to think about what i wear in the mornings but uh <laughs> okay joining the navy it was definitely a way to see the world i got myself involved in a number of some pretty one-off adventures mm-hmm. and 
decided I wanted to to serve more locally, and that's when I I came back. So, are there moments that things that happened to you in all of those years that there's a moment that was uh, just a moment of extreme either exhilaration or complete horror that still haunts you? Yes. Yeah. Yep. Both. Definitely in my my overseas and definitely in my my current career, um, you have those. And they do kind of tie in, I guess, as time goes by as well, the exhilaration and the the horror. Mm-hmm. And then it's a matter of getting yourself to a spot where whether you're you're talking to somebody, whether you're you, you've got to have those supports so you can be healthy. I've come up with this thing over my my existence that you either help hinder or hide, mm-hmm. and that both externally and internally. There's times where I've I've definitely hindered myself mm-hmm. or hidden from myself. And there's times where I definitely have hindered other people. And I think that's where I have to look internally on how do I grow so that I can help. Because that's what we all want to do. Nobody grows up wanting to, to hinder or hurt people. Mm. So that's my, my philosophy on life. Every year I reassess, did I help more this year? Did I hinder or did I hide? Right. I think as a younger, much younger guy, I used to always think somebody has all the answers. Somebody has all the answers. And I reached a stage a few years ago where I realized nobody has all the answers. We're all just, or at least the majority of us, I think, are all just sort of stumbling along, trying to do the best we can. I think so. And I I think that's where if we can show that compassion to each other, we can help each other as opposed to judging, oh, well, this person did this, this Mm -hmm. person did that. Meanwhile, we're making it up as we go at the same time. A transition to the Dave Mounsey Memorial Fund. Dave Mounsey was a really close friend of yours. He was. He was my coach officer. He taught me everything he knew about policing. Uh, he had served in the British Air Force for 14 years, came over and was a corrections officer, and then joined the OPP. He was a crisis negotiator, and I was his one and only rookie. Mm-hmm. I knew his mom and dad a little bit, Shirley and Colin, right? Mm-hmm. Beautiful people. I understand his dad has passed now. Yes, Colin has passed, yeah. uh, sadly. Shirley is, is still here. And sadly, uh, Dave's brother, John, passed over oh in England. My. Particularly his mom. Like, I, I knew her through church, actually, but she was the life of the party, even in church. She was such a sweet, giving, tender-hearted woman. Was Dave like that? Very much so. Yeah. He, he was the life of the room. He had a, a huge smile, and he would... I don't want to say dominate the conversation. That's such a negative term. He was the conversation, and it was just natural to listen to him. Mm-hmm. I mean, part of it was the British accent, which I used to tell everybody he, he it was fake. He used to watch Coronation Street and make it up, and he'd get so mad that, yeah. no, no, the accent's real. But he was just, <laughs> uh, and, and Shirley was too. Shirley, I always said, was like the queen. She was just so sweet yeah. and, and outgoing, and, and Dave absolutely was. You know, he just was such a part of the community yeah. and he was a volunteer firefighter as well so mm-hmm. here you have somebody who british air force corrections policing and volunteer firefighter at the age of 50 yeah and born to serve yeah it yeah. was what he wanted to do and he enjoyed working with the bligh the fire department the a number of them still talk about dave and he had that connection with them and paul josling who was the chief then uh, he has uh, sadly passed due to one of the cancers mm-hmm. that firefighters can get. He was one of our founding board members for the Mounsey Fund. 
I love the Dave Mounsey Memorial Fund because of what it does in his memory. And for those that don't know, uh, fill us in. The Dave Mounsey Memorial Fund donates defibrillators in the name of fallen law enforcement, fire, emergency management, uh, so paramedics, and military persons who have died in the line of duty. To date, we've donated 166 defibrillators. Wow. Uh, We're 14 years old now. It took us 10 years to get to 100, and it's only going to take us five years to get to 200. And six lives have been directly saved because of our defibrillators. I heard you explain one time why it was that you settled on defib units in Dave's memory. Dave and his partner, Brenda, they went and ran a marathon on Dave's 50th birthday, which was October 4th of 2006, Mm -hmm. to raise money for a defibrillator for the Blythe Fire Department. A lot of people don't realize, even today, there are rural fire departments that don't have defibrillators. So they went, built that money. He ran a marathon at the age of 50, and I'll tell you, at 48, it took me a bit to drive my stick shift up here to Wingham. (laughs) So when we were looking at how do we honor not just Dave, but Matthew Denning was a, a huge component because Matthew Denning was killed uh, April 22nd of 2006. Mm-hmm. Dave and I were on the ceremony in Afghanistan. In Afghanistan. Yeah. Then in May, I believe it was, of 2006, Dave and I, who were on the ceremonial unit, as was Brenda, we went and did a funeral in Windsor for John Atkinson. And you have uh, Bruce Crew, who was an OPP officer who was killed in the early 80s, his picture hanging up on the wall. So those all combined to let's create an organization to to remember, make it inclusive so that you don't have it's just a police organization or it's just a military. Let's include all of those fallen first responders. And I mean, we corrections, including Margaret Mick, who was the first female corrections officer ever killed in the line of duty back in the, I want to say the thirties, it could have been the forties. That's where the idea really came from was a whole combination of, I hate to say it, but a combination of losses. And how do we keep these people alive publicly? Yes, their families are going to talk about them, but we should too. That That's how people stay alive is by talking about them and sharing stories about them. I can't think of a, a more fitting testimonial to them than defib units. It feeds, it feeds into the very fabric of who all of these people were, and that is people that cared about other people and wanted to serve them somehow. It does, and I think that it, it's very representative. A defibrillator is representative of first responders and military. You don't necessarily want them. Right. Hanging out with you all the time. But if you need one. But if you need one, thank it's God there. it's there. Yeah. Yeah. And the, the proof's there. Six life saves uh, directly because of our defibrillators. That's something. Uh, three of those are through fire departments, so we don't know who the persons were. But three of them, uh, Frank Bax was our, our first save, and he's a, a huge supporter of the fund. They cost money. Yes, they do. And that's got to be raised. And you do that in a number of ways. So when we first started, it was going around saying, hey, do you want to donate to this? We don't have a bank account. Just put it in my name. Trust me. Mm. You know, and that's kind of a nice, awkward conversation (laughs) to have with people. But um, we've kind of settled on three main events. We have our, I guess, locally is the first one, which is the run around the square. And that's our longest event. Started in 2010. It's 510K and now half marathon in Goddard. My daughter was in that this year. Oh, was she? Yeah. And I was, I did it, what, I think eight or 10 years ago, maybe. I think so. Uh, but yeah, when, when I saw my daughter in it, I thought, wow, this is uh, what goes around, comes around. There she is. 
Yeah, and we try to keep very proud those funds raised from it. We do try to keep local, Mm -hmm. so that we're continuing to put defibrillators into Huron County. Yeah, so that we're best protecting where we are locally. So then we have Dancing with the Stars of nine one one, and that is where I pit in a friendly competition police, fire, paramedic, and military members. We train them to dance. Yeah. And we stick them out on a dance floor, and you've been a host there. I have. A couple times. Yeah, I judged one, uh, one yeah. year. That was great. Very cool. So you got the run around the square, dancing with the stars. Those are big fundraisers. You also have this crazy idea that you should walk 100K in a day or something. Yeah. So uh, what are you on? I <laughs> <laughs> A lot of caffeine, I'm guessing. Seemed better when I was 46. <laughs> Although I love to steal the title as founder, there, there's no real founder with the Mounsey Fund. It, it was a group of like-minded people mm-hmm. that all were supportive of uh, the idea. And the biggest supporter of that was Dave Matheson, who's one of my closest friends. He just doesn't like the title because it means interviews and podcasts. He doesn't like the title of being your closest friend? or he Both. Doesn't like- <laughs> Both. Okay. Yeah. Right, He'll be enough. upset I even admitted this. But uh-huh. he lets me do all the interviews. It was covid we knew we had to cancel Dancing with the Stars. Yeah. Uh, we canceled Run Around the Square that year. We were like a lot of service groups. What do you do? And so I said to him, I have this crazy idea. What if I just walk 100 kilometers and get a couple hundred bucks people to support me walking 100 kilometers in 24 hours straight through? Oh, what? so you know that I did a run. Yes, I follow um, you religiously. I, I spread that over five days. That was in 2019, and my feet still hurt. <laughs> so I, I, I don't know how. How do you manage to walk 100K in a day? Uh, there's a lot of whining. <laughs> I can tell you that much. All right, I'm sure. Dave, his first response was, okay, let's do this. Wow. Not even a hesitation, because I wouldn't have. I would have been, hey, yeah, I'll provide your water. And he was like, no, let's do this. So two schmucks, we started in Ilderton, mm-hmm. walked up, uh, ended up walking Highway 4 straight up to Wingham. Took us 23 hours. And uh, we raised $15,000 for the fund. Amazing. So the second year, thanks to an idea from George Finch, the mayor of South Huron, he uh, said, why don't you involve the families? So the next year, we started doing legs. So now we have 20 families. They do a five-kilometer leg with us, and we walk the full 100. Or I think I did 91K this last year, but we do a large portion of it. There's always somebody walking with the family, and they do a 5K section. Mm-hmm. And it's been really successful because the families they're doing something act they're not just watching something they're taking part it's amazing so we can do this remembrance even in the middle of the night at three in the morning we're walking with families okay. down the side of the highway you know of course reflective vests and yeah. we have all the the protections there it's one of our most taxing events mm-hmm. but it certainly is fulfilling to walk with these families and to be to hear their stories. It's one thing you can Google. So if you Google Dave Mounsey, that, that's one thing. But to talk to a family member and hear the stories, to hear yeah. what made them laugh, to hear a, a little tidbit about that person, that I can then carry on. So when I'm talking about somebody, you know, I talk William Cushley, his mother talks about how he was so... And not intimidated, but he was just nervous. He's getting on the bus, getting ready to go to Afghanistan. He forgets to hug his mom. Mm-hmm. Well, then all the other soldiers kind of force him off the bus to go hug his mom in front of everybody. And 
when he gets killed in Afghanistan, as the platoon starts coming back, they find her to make sure that they hug her. Oh, okay. <laughs> Favorite story of our chat, but also, damn it. <laughs> Is there anything when you were thinking about coming today that you thought, I hope we talk about this, or I want to make sure I get this message across that maybe I haven't asked you the right question yet? I don't think so. I I mean, I'm always nervous talking to you. Is he going to think I'm clever enough? <laughs> but uh, Oh, man, your standards are low. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, when it comes to volunteering, I, th- I think sometimes people get hung up on you know, I just know how to play the social media side of it, so it looks like I'm always busy. But I think that it's Canadian fabric to volunteer. I think it's human fabric to volunteer. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't have to be anything massive. You don't have to start your own organizations. But helping your kids by being a, a coach or yeah. selling the amount of cheese and whatnot, which I see now the kids are selling wine from school. <laughs> so now I'm more interested in those fundraisers. But I'm guessing some of their teachers could use some Yes, maybe. I don't know. But I, I think that volunteering is such a a human condition that we all want to contribute. Yeah. It just some of us are better at selling it online and you know, when you raise a good family there, there's an element of volunteering in that. You're creating the next good generation. Because people talk about volunteering as if it's this rare thing, but I see Canadians volunteer every day. You're volunteering doing podcast, having to talk to me. Yeah, having to talk to you. <laughs> Such a joke. If, if somebody was to ask you, so for Remembrance Day, uh, there are people that go, ah, it was a long time ago. We don't need to do that anymore. Or they don't want to wear a poppy or whatever. Why, why is Remembrance Day important to you? Why do you believe that it matters like it does? This will be my most controversial statement in this whole thing, because I'm usually pretty middle of the line. And You with no controversy, is that even you? It de- <laughs> depends there. Depends on who you ask. If you don't want to wear a poppy, it doesn't. I don't get my backup. I think the whole point of people who go overseas and, and people who make the ultimate sacrifice, the whole point is so that everybody can live their life the way that they see fit. Mm-hmm. I think where when people get on the anti-poppy, I just ask that, again, look around because you never know where there's a family member of somebody who did give their life, who did make the ultimate sacrifice, and you are certainly entitled to your your views. We all are. That's one of the beauties of living in a democracy like we do. But there are a large number of families who have given something so that we have this freedom. Mm -hmm. And Remembrance Day to me is about remembering the the men and women because they're since World War I, well, even going back Boer War, uh, when you're dealing with the nursing sisters, a significant amount of women that were not trained in combat, but we're in the front lines mm-hmm. to heal and to help people. Uh, Matilda Green and Florence Graham are two. One from Listwell, she was killed in the line of duty, and Florence Graham from Godrich are two nursing sisters right off the hop I can think of we've honored. But it's it's not these long-forgotten wars. It's the Matthew Dennings, mm-hmm. um, you know, it's the, the Mark Wilsons, Brent Polins, Crystal Giesbrecks, 
all of these these people, William Cushley's, I, I go on and on. Yeah. It is all these young people who still answered the call, if you want to go back to the old McDermott songs and quote those, that went and wanted to make their world a little better, their corner, and not just their corner here at home, but they saw it on a bigger scale and mm-hmm. said, okay, let's go to another place and see if we can bring freedom or some sort of stability to other people. Well, for your service as a, a police officer, as a veteran, and uh, for your leadership with the Dave Mounsey Memorial Fund, I just say thank you on behalf of a lot of people that would probably like to shake your hand and say thank you, but they aren't here right now. So thanks for all you do. Appreciate it. We started ending podcasts when we remembered to do it with a fast five. So rapid fire questions. Just five questions. First thing that comes into your mind. Oh, great. All right, ready? Here's where I get in trouble. Uh, maybe not. First job? First job uh, is going to be, well, it was rock picking until I managed to get my way out of that and then the army. Favorite animal? Cats. Favorite. I'll say it. Because Bueller's passed, so I can't say any other dog but Bueller. Ah. So he I was, have to go with He cat. was your buddy. She, yeah. She, sorry, yeah. Oh, yes, yeah. yeah. We had 16 years together. Wow. Um, and she actually was with me through Dave's passing and uh, Vu's as well. Hmm. So. so now you're a cat guy? I've always was a cat guy. I just keep oh, that in Did Bueller wraps. know? Bueller knew. I had two cats. <laughs> I had a cat for two sisters, one for 18, one for 16 years. They raised Bueller. So. Favorite food? Lasagna. Really? Where was your last vacation? <laughs> Have you had one? <laughs> Um, my last leaving the country was probably Grenada. What's your hidden talent? Oh, I don't have any. <laughs> Come on. I try to play guitar, but uh, depends on who you ask whether I'm successful at that one or not. Guitar it is. Patrick Armstrong, thank you so much for your time this morning. Oh, I thank you for having me. Can I leave with one quote? You may. This is the quote that we truly strive for in the Mounsey Fund. And I read this. At Dave's eulogy, I was honored enough that uh, to be asked to read a eulogy at his funeral. And people don't realize, but our logo of the, the Union flag with the Canadian maple leaf superimposed was actually his tattoo on his chest. Huh. So oh, that's... I did not know that. So this is what we, we truly believe that... And this is from Stephen... I'm going to mispronounce his name. Grillet. I shall pass through this world but once. Any good, therefore, that I can do, or any kindness that I can show to any human being, let me do it now. Let me not defer or neglect it, for I shall not pass this way again. And that's our show this week. Before we go, as always, a huge thanks to you for listening and for doing all the things that you do every week to encourage us and help us with a life that's good. All the follows and the likes and the comments and especially the shares with your friends. We want to end this week with a reading of In Flanders Fields. It's a poem written during the First World War by Canadian physician Lieutenant Colonel John McRae. He was inspired to write it on May 3rd, 1915, after presiding over the funeral of a friend and fellow soldier who had died in battle. We want to dedicate it to all those who've made it possible for us to have lives that are good. Those who have served, those who've paid the ultimate price, and those who continue to serve and preserve our freedom. 
In Flanders fields, the poppies blow. Between the crosses, row on row, that mark our place. And in the sky, the larks, still bravely singing fly, scarce heard amid the guns below. We are the dead. Short days ago, we lived, felt dawn, saw sunset glow, loved and were loved, and now we lie in Flanders fields. Take up our quarrel with the foe. To you, from failing hands, we throw the torch. Be yours to hold it high. If ye break faith with us who die, we shall not sleep, though poppies grow in Flanders fields. <laughs>